Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we'll be talking to somebody who has written one of the most discussed books of the year. Of course, uh, if you're a history nerd, it's Dr. David J. Garrow. He's actually a Pulitzer Prize-winning American historian, and he's the author of the book Bearing the Cross, Martin Luther King Jr. and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. That's the book that in 1987 won the Pulitzer Prize for biography. And his book is very, very interesting because he's essentially written the definitive biography, thus far at least, of President Barack Obama, both his uh, life prior to the presidency and his presidency. And the book is interesting because essentially it turns on its head a number of the assumptions that people have had about the president and a lot of the narrative that Barack Obama himself has put forward. There's a couple of books that have come out recently on the Obama presidency that are giving people sort of an inside look on what actually went on as the Obama presidency sort of becomes history and people start to analyze it with a a more critical and less political eye. Some of you will remember that about a month and a half ago, I actually interviewed Michael Weir, who wrote another book on the Obama presidency, and a, a book spoken quite positively of, I might mention, by Dr. David Garrow. So after I started to become familiar with this book and, and was uh, going through the different revelations in it and starting to realize that here was a, here was a historical book that, that looked at Obama in a way that none of the previous books had. I actually have both of Obama's memoirs. And I was surprised to realize that a lot of the things that I had taken for granted were, in fact, not true. And so I fired Dr. David Garrow an email, and he was kind enough to agree to an interview. And I hope you all enjoy this conversation and find it as enlightening as I did. So first of all, why did you write this specific book? There's been a lot of biographies that have come out about Barack Obama in the past decade or so. There's, of course, his own two books, and yours runs quite a few more pages and has gotten a lot more buzz than the previous ones. In early 2008, right at the beginning of the presidential campaign, when Barack Obama won the Iowa caucuses, uh, I was frankly embarrassed that I knew nothing about him. Uh, given how uh, much of my academic career has been focused on writing about race in the United States, and, and particularly uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, I did the standard biography of uh, Dr. King some years ago, Bearing the Cross. Mm -hmm. So throughout that 2008 campaign, I read all the emerging biographical journalism about Obama's life. Uh, and the more I read, the uh, more disappointed I got at how... Uh, unthorough and incurious uh, the journalists were, uh, and, and particularly how uh, everyone accepted Obama's uh, 1995 memoir, uh, Dreams from My Father, uh, as a, a statement for the uh, historical record uh, rather than a, a heavily fictionalized uh, mythification of his life. Uh, in early 2009, I went to Chicago for the first time and uh, started interviewing the people who were his uh, mentors during his community organizing years in Chicago in his mid-20s. Uh, and within a day or two, they pointed me towards uh, uh, a very nice lady who um, had incorporated their community groups uh, who had all her files from back then, including this 
long list of people typed by Barack himself, uh, folks whom he was working with back then, whom the journalists had, had never uh, discovered. Uh, and so that was the beginning of the slippery slope for me uh, into doing this uh, huge, long, uh, comprehensive book uh, that uh, all told is, is based on more than 1,000 uh, personal interviews. I want to take a look at the one thing you just mentioned there, because it's probably been one of the most discussed aspects of your book. It's uh, you referring to Dreams from My Father as historical fiction, essentially as a sort of an Alex Haley Roots uh, sort of book, a, a politician's attempt to create the narrative. And the reason that's such an interesting point to make is because it not only uh, sort of uh, pricks the balloon of Obama's narrative, but it also, quite frankly, pricks the balloon of a lot of the right-wing narratives. For example, Dinesh D'Souza's books analyzing Obama were almost entirely based on, on short quotations from that book. Very, very well stated. Um, Dreams from My Father is fundamentally misleading and, and misinforming uh, in multiple ways. Um, number one, it's, it's a very calculated attempt uh, by a young man who's about to start running for political office in Illinois uh, to make his earlier life uh, during his high school years, during his college years, uh, to make his life seem dramatically more black uh, in retrospect than it actually was uh, when he lived it. Um, Obama in that book tries to present himself as this stereotypically unhappy, angry, uh, black, tough guy, actually calls himself a thug at one point. Right. And literally 100% of the people who knew him uh, in high school, during his college years, uh, without exception, reject that portrait. They recall a happy, easygoing, outgoing, friendly, smiling young man, uh, and someone who, throughout those years, hadn't really yet been exposed at all to black America, uh, growing up in Hawaii, living briefly in Indonesia, uh, having a whole set of Pakistani and, and international student uh, buddies as his friendship network uh, during college and after. Uh, so it's a, it's a book that actually gives people a, a fundamentally misleading sense of Obama's young life. So what in your mind is, is the real narrative? Because as I pointed out, I find it very interesting that none of the narratives we've been presented about Barack Obama's life from himself and his supporters, and, and nor from his detractors, actually give us an accurate picture of him at all, which of course has made the criticism easier to slough off and has allowed his supporters to, to uh, put forward his narrative uh, all the more. What would you say the, the trajectory of the young Obama is? Because in some ways, you're smashing myths on all sides. Yes. Exactly. The Barack Obama who moves to Chicago in 1985, uh, 24 years old, everyone who knew Barack uh, up through then thought he was a perfectly nice guy, but utterly unremarkable. Uh, fast forward three years, after his three years in Chicago, when he starts Harvard Law School in 1988, everyone who meets him uh, at Harvard uh, thinks, voila, this is a remarkable, uh, impressive young man whom we'll all be reading about in the future. So there is this profound self-transformation uh, 
on Obama's part uh, between 1985 and 1988, uh, in part because he is for the first time immersed in, in a black urban community, uh, comes to embrace his identity as an African-American. Uh, working, trying to do uh, community organizing is very frustrating. Uh, and in contrast, there's the political example of Harold Washington, uh, Chicago's first uh, black mayor uh, in those years, a hugely popular, uh, incredibly outgoing, effervescent figure. And Barack makes the decision in 1987 uh, that that's the future he wants for himself, to be a black political candidate. Right. And when this narrative started to emerge, which narrative do you think that came out during his campaign was slightly accurate? Because you see a tug of war over the narrative, and you see neither narrative actually stating the truth, and then you have uh, what you're putting forward. But what's most interesting is to try and ascertain whether or not uh, Obama's narrative of a journey towards blackness was accurate but exaggerated because he did struggle with it but for a shorter amount of time on, on a smaller scale or whether or not uh, his books can essentially be seen as campaign autobiographies which virtually every political candidate writes for the express purpose of controlling their own narrative. Yes, exactly. Uh, at no point, uh, whether in college, uh, whether in his private life in Chicago uh, during his organizing years, uh, during his time at Harvard Law School, uh, even when he gets down to the Illinois State Legislature in Springfield uh, in the late 1990s, at none of those times is Barack sitting at the black table in the cafeteria, to use a, a well-known uh, U.S. Uh, uh, metaphor. Right. Um, uh, Barack's identification as black uh, gains a lot of strength in those community organizing years, uh, but his closest friends, uh, time and again, uh, aren't from an African-American background. The woman with whom he lived in Chicago during the community organizing years, Sheila Yeager, uh, half Dutch, half Japanese, uh, they had a very intense uh, relationship that lasted almost five years. Uh, Barack's closest friend, uh, very close friend in law school, Rob Fisher, a uh, slightly older white economist. Uh, they wrote an unpublished book manuscript together, a fascinating document, uh, about 250 pages. Uh, it's it's a, a great roadmap to Barack's thinking uh, about how uh, he believes politics rather than litigation uh, is where uh, uh, African-American uh, efforts need to be to be focused. Now, that's an, an interesting point, Barack Obama's thinking, because he, he was very good at portraying himself during the campaign as a figure upon which everyone could project their their hopes and dreams, sometimes in those words. And then, of course, others said he was a, a radical progressive, a, a hardcore left-winger. From the people that you spoke to and interviewed, what would you say his, his politics were? Did he make himself out, for example, to be far more conservative than he actually was? It might be a little harsh as a label, but I think a faux progressive would be what many people in Chicago and Illinois would uh, accept as a label. Uh, during his, his uh, first seven or eight years in Illinois politics, um, 
Barack uh, is very strongly in favor of, of single-payer universal health care coverage, uh, and his number one issue of all uh, is attacking uh, big money in politics and, and calling for a very thoroughgoing uh, campaign reform uh, and finance reform. Uh, at the beginning, he endorses gay marriage uh, and then very quickly backs off it. Uh, somewhat similarly, in the wake of 9-11, he's a, a, for uh, several years a very tough critic of the intelligence community and uh, the Patriot Act and the whole Bush uh, national security agenda. Uh, but come 2008, um, the Obama we first see as a presidential candidate uh, is a much more tentative, uh, hesitant, uh, cautious figure. Um, and once he's in the White House, particularly on the national security issue, um, you know, he ends up becoming uh, essentially a continuation of the Bush administration's uh, intelligence policies. When you look at, at some of the things you mentioned, because uh, there was a book uh, recently written by Michael Weir, who was an Obama aide in oh, the yes. White House. Yes, and then there was David Axelrod's book, and they both take a very different point of view on what Obama's position on gay marriage would have been. And what I, I get the sense of, and you can tell me if I'm, uh, if I'm right or if I'm wrong, is somebody who, as you can tell uh, by his, his previous memoirs, is, is almost paralyzed by the idea of his legacy and how he comes across, and that perhaps contributed to some of the flip-flops and the hesitancy we see. Yes. The Michael Weir book, though it's gotten very little attention in the United States, is a very important, uh, critical insight by someone who, who you know, worked for the Obama presidency. Um, with gay marriage, Barack's personal preference, I think, is very clear back in 1995-1996 that he, he thinks this is a basic civil rights issue. Uh, but then political calculation uh, trumps uh, that position. Um, and he, you know, remains uh, uh, scared uh, to, to embrace uh, or articulate his real belief uh, until Joe Biden uh, pushes the envelope during the second term. And uh, that's a decision where the, the very short little Michael Ware book is, is uh, I think, a very devastating comment. Um, but Axelrod, as, as Obama's uh, political guru, uh, Within the context of Chicago and Illinois, uh, the progressives who wanted Barack to be their champion uh, always, I, I think in my judgment correctly, viewed Axelrod as a sort of organization apparatchik. Um, and so Axelrod and, and Obama uh, again and again chose political calculation over uh, any true policy uh, belief or commitment. Now, one of the things that your book uh, has both gotten a lot of attention for and a lot of criticism for is your examination of Barack Obama's personal life. I believe in one interview it was worded as uh, Obama's hedonism. What do you think that side of him uh, tells us about Barack Obama? Because you've essentially said you've included the details of, of his various sexual relationships with people, his drug use, etc., because it, it tells us fundamentally something about Obama's uh, trajectory and who he was. I, I think hedonism would be a, a very inaccurate word uh, for, for Obama. 
there's a lot of marijuana use during uh, high school and college. Uh, there's a considerable considerable amount of cocaine usage uh, up through uh, age 24, age 25. Uh, before his marriage to, to Michelle Robinson, um, Barack had three meaningful girlfriends, uh, two of whom, Genevieve Cook in New York and, and then Sheila Yeager in Chicago, uh, were, were very serious, intense relationships. Uh, but by the standards of, of any uh, young man in America in the 1980s, uh, I think Barack's personal life is uh, uh, very much in the, in the middle of the distribution. Uh, I don't think it should come as a surprise to anyone that a, a young man who's you know, 26 years old uh, could have an intense relationship where uh, they're talking very seriously about getting married. Right. And, and what, what, would, in your opinion, are some of the main faults that people on each side have made uh, in regards to judging him? So starting with the right-wing side, you've got the books written by Dinesh D'Souza. You have the accusations of Barack Obama, a so-called palling around with terrorists, I think Sarah Palin put it. Uh, what, what, what are the main things that they all got wrong? Um, the notion that Barack is any was ever any sort of a closet political radical uh, couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, this was someone who was so interested in finding the, the center of the room, so to speak, uh, that whatever would be in his political self-interest uh, would always trump any, any actual commitment. Uh, and the notion that Bill Ayers, uh, who was a social friend uh, in the Hyde Park neighborhood in Chicago, someone whom Barack and Michelle had dinner with dozens of times, uh, the notion that Ayers had any political influence on Barack is, uh, I think, entirely notional, uh, even though the Obamas uh, did uh, pretty successfully uh, cover up uh, the how close a, a social relationship uh Ayers and Obama did have. And how about the left? What what are the main things they got wrong about the Obama narrative? Uh, with people on the American left, like Cornell West, for example, uh, I think their critique of, of Obama uh, from pretty early on was was right on target. Uh, they realized that this was someone who publicly identified as black. Uh, but who was not ever going to go to the map, uh, go to the mat uh, for uh, the black community or, or black interests. Um, and uh, I, I think a lot of people correctly uh, appreciated uh, uh, you know, just how cautious and, and limited a figure uh, Obama was as a politician. And, and when you were researching this book, what were some things that really stood out to you and you thought, well, the American people really need to know this in order to understand these eight years of the Obama presidency? I think it's remarkable that someone could write a memoir of his life, uh, published in 1995, uh, and make no reference whatsoever uh, to these two crucial uh, relationships with Genevieve Cook and Sheila Yeager um, that he had had uh, back in, in the really formative time in his life. Um, but from really the beginning of law school forward, um, Barack was always, in, in every decision, uh, 
joining Trinity United Church, Church of Christ, as a good example, was always calculating towards what would best help him uh, in a political career. That's the insight that so many people on the right and on the left uh, failed to, to fully appreciate. The interesting uh, thing about your, your point about Trinity Church is, of course, uh, his association, whatever that would have been, with Richard Wright ended up briefly Jeremiah Wright. Yeah, it ended up briefly hurting him during the political campaign. Is it true in your estimation that Barack Obama joined a church, somebody who had been previously very irreligious, uh, simply to further his political career and his community organizing? Or was this something that he found himself drawn to on, on a more spiritual level, if you will? Of, of all the hundreds and hundreds of people I interviewed who, who have known Barack across the years, literally 99% of them believe that uh, Barack was never a, a deeply religious person. Um, Trinity Church was was the perfect church to to be in uh, if you were a sort of upwardly mobile, uh, civically interested, uh, racially identified uh, young black couple in Chicago. And I know, because it says in your book that you actually allowed Barack Obama to read most of what you'd written, and that he argued with you quite vehemently on a few of the points. Is there anything you're allowed to tell us about those conversations? Um, yes. Um, last year, 2016, I spent a total of eight hours uh, at the White House uh, with President Obama, uh, a first conversation that lasted maybe an hour 20 uh, in the Oval Office, uh, primarily about his personal relationships in, in the 1980s. Um, and I made the decision after that that it was just the uh, appropriate, fair, human thing uh, to you know let this living person uh, read this long manuscript. And, and I was uh, very uh, honored, frankly, uh, that the sitting president took dozens of hours to read through this huge manuscript, uh, and we had uh, two subsequent long three-hour uh, three hour plus uh, meetings uh, in the White House in October and then again in December uh, 2016, uh, where he went through the manuscript, you know, turning the pages page by page by page, stopping where he had marked up something. Um, now, under the weird rules of Washington, uh, those conversations, you know, were off the record. Right. Uh, I take very good notes, uh, so I'm not supposed to quote him. Mm -hmm. um, he said many very positive things uh, about the book manuscript, uh, but there indeed are uh, a number of, of my uh, conclusions and, and interpretations and perspectives uh, that he very unsurprisingly uh, doesn't like and, and uh, doesn't agree with. Has he reacted at all since the book has been uh, officially published? No, I, I've not seen any public comment at all from him. Um, and I believe he's, you know, as, as uh, in Canada you very well know, uh, he's primarily been uh, traveling the globe uh, since he left mm -hmm. the White House, whether the South Pacific or Europe or uh, there with your prime minister. Uh, so I don't know whether he's... Uh, had the chance to go back and look at it again or not. Well, uh, we'll be encouraging all of our listeners to, to buy and read the book, and we thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much.